I wonder, have you ever been lost? And I mean really lost. If you have, you'll know that being lost is one of the most terrifying things that could ever happen to anyone. You don't know your way back to home or security. You can't recognize the landmarks around you. You feel the terror of being completely alone and helpless. And being lost isn't just confined to geographic places that you can't identify. It also describes how many people feel on the inside. They sense being alone and separated from others, even when they're in a crowd. They sense that they can't find their way home, wherever home may be. They feel there's nothing that they can identify or make sense of, nothing that provides an anchor for their souls. And that might be exactly how you feel here this evening. You're in a church building. You're with a bunch of people, but you feel lost and alone and helpless. Well, maybe I can bring you some good news. Maybe you'll allow me to point to a marker that will show you the way home. For in the Bible, the gospel writer Luke records Jesus saying this about himself. Daisy read it to us earlier, chapter 19, verse 10 from Luke's gospel. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And just in case we're in any doubt as who, to who the lost really are, Luke includes two incidents about the sort of lost person that Jesus is really looking for. Now, last week, if you were with us, we looked at a blind beggar. He was seated by the road on the outskirts of the city of Jericho. This week, we go on to look at the story of a very wealthy tax collector who lived towards the center of town. And Luke very deliberately compares and contrasts the two of them so that we can see how wide the love of Jesus really is. So, so let's begin there by comparing them. You see, they had this in common. They were both outcasts. They were both outcasts. You see, the blind beggar clearly was an outcast from society. He'd been reduced to begging by the road, and he was considered to be receiving what he deserved in his blindness. It was the way society at the time operated. You're blind, you must have done something wrong, or your parents must have done something wrong. He was an outcast. And Zacchaeus was also an outcast in society. Now, remember that this story all took place in Jericho. Jericho was one of the most prosperous cities in the whole of Israel. Not only was it at the heart of a vast trade network connecting Egypt to the south and Damascus to the north and Jerusalem to the southwest and Caesarea to the northwest, it was also famous for a commodity, balsam. 
which was one of the most precious commodities of its day. So as a town, it yielded high tax returns, and tax collectors would be very rich men from the income that could be extracted. But Zacchaeus was more than a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And we know that Roman-occupied Palestine was divided into three, just three, tax regions, thus making Zacchaeus one of the richest and most influential men around. But being a tax collector also had its drawbacks, as it meant collecting taxes for the occupying Roman army, using Roman military muscle when necessary, and being regarded by your fellow Jews as a collaborator. Furthermore, as the tax collector's income was dependent on how much they could extort beyond the basic that was required by the Roman authorities, they were also regarded as cheats and sinners and compromisers by their religious community. So in Zacchaeus, we discover also another outcast who for all his money couldn't find acceptance with God or acceptance in his own community. And maybe there are some here who feel like outcasts. For whatever reason, you feel on the fringe of things. You just don't feel as if you fit in. Just like Zacchaeus. But then we notice Luke does some contrast as well. Uh, I, I, I want us to notice that the blind beggar had some knowledge of Jesus. The blind beggar had some knowledge of Jesus. You see, when he was told that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he immediately called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, he'd obviously heard about Jesus, who he was and what he could do. That is obvious from the way that he cried out. But this is contrasted with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had little knowledge of Jesus, it would seem. Because we're told that he wanted to see who Jesus was. And so he joined the crowd to see this famous prophet. And just let me say in passing that you might be here this evening with an excellent knowledge of what the Bible teaches about Jesus. You may have been brought up in a Christian home. You may have excelled in religious education. But the point is this. You know you're still lost. You are still ignorant of the genuine Jesus. Or you may be new to who Jesus really is. You've got no background knowledge about him. Your, your parents never taught you who he was. Maybe even your background is that of another religion. But as this story shows us, that's no bar to Jesus finding you. Let's move back to comparing them. Luke does this deliberately. We notice that they both couldn't see. They both couldn't see. You see, certainly, obviously, for the beggar, the problem was his physical blindness. He, he really couldn't see. But for Zacchaeus, the problem actually was his height. 
He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. He was a short man, which in Jewish understanding meant that he was probably under five foot tall. He was a small man. He couldn't see Jesus. And can I just say in passing, spiritual blindness, not being able to see Jesus is something that affects each one of us. It doesn't matter where we're coming from. We're all born blind to the glories of Jesus. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, you may be here and you're going, well, why do these folks get so excited about Jesus? And that would just say to me, scream to me, you can't see. You, you can't see him. You say, but, but I can. You know? No, you can't. Because if you could see Jesus for who he really is, there would be no question like that. There would be no contest in your heart. He would be a delight to know and love and follow with all your heart. But you don't get it. You don't see it. Just like the blind man. Just like Zacchaeus. But then Luke, again, goes on to make a contrast between the two of them. Uh, he points out that the blind beggar sought Jesus out. The blind beggar sought Jesus out. We, we read this in verses 37 to 39 of chapter 18. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So what does he do? He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The blind beggar sought Jesus out. But Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. You see, Luke tells us that Jesus was just passing through Jericho. In fact, since chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus, we've been told, has been traveling to Jerusalem where we, he knew that he had an appointment at the cross at Calvary. But on this journey, there were other appointments that Jesus had to keep. And one such appointment was with Zacchaeus, though Zacchaeus knew nothing about it. You see, to some onlookers, Jesus' journey through Jericho may have looked like an aimless amble. But in reality, it was a deliberate search. For Jesus was seeking out a particular individual. And when Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus in the tree, it wasn't a coincidence. It was the end of a purposeful search. And when God works in the saving of a soul, it's not that someone goes out hunting for Jesus, it's that Jesus goes out seeking for them. When folks here became Christians, and there are many Christians here in this congregation this evening, it was the same for them. God sought them out and called them to himself. You see, without divine intervention, we'd still be lost today, but... The hound of heaven pursued us down life's alleys. He sought us. He found us in our lostness. 
And it may be, it may be that God is seeking someone out this evening. Maybe it's just curiosity or habit that's brought you here. But you're beginning to hear Jesus speaking directly to you. Calling you out. And perhaps he has an appointment with you this evening. But as well as there being a deliberate search by Jesus, he also displayed detailed knowledge. He knew when, where, and who would be up that tree. What a shock for Zacchaeus to suddenly get called by name. He thought he had anonymity. But Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. And friends, the staggering truth is we are known by God. We're known by God. There's nothing about us which is hidden from him. You see, he can see through all our disguises. He notes every turn we take and every act of defiance. He knows how we are. He knows what we're feeling. He even knows the very thoughts running through our minds at this moment. My friends, whoever you are, You are known by God. He knows you. You are not hidden. You are not anonymous. You are not just a number somewhere. You are known to God. And still we notice that Jesus issues a command. He said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. For whenever Jesus met with anyone, he always expected a response of one sort or another. And perhaps Jesus is specifically calling some here to follow him as their Lord and Savior tonight. The command is clear. The command is personal. And the command demands a response. But let's go back to comparing the two of them as as Luke does. We notice, thirdly, that, that they both were criticized. They both were criticized. You see, coming to Jesus will never be easy. There will always be obstacles. There will always be those opposing what Jesus is doing. For the blind beggar, those obstacles came in the form of those who rebuked him and just said, look, be quiet, shut up, don't disturb Jesus. Don't bother Jesus. Look, don't make a fool of yourself. For Zacchaeus, the obstacles came in the way of the crowd and their cruel comments. Chapter 19, verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. And my friends, don't be surprised if there is opposition for you coming to Jesus. Well, maybe even right now there are thoughts and questions and objections arising in your own mind. You hear me saying, look, come to Jesus. And you're going, oh, and, and suddenly the obstacles and the objections are rising up in your mind and you're counting the cost. And maybe this is something that will upset your parents or maybe this is something that will impact your standing with your friends and your mates and your loved ones. Or maybe this is something that will cause you to reevaluate all that you've ever believed to be true. But notice what happens. And again... We notice this by way of contrast. The blind beggar receives his sight. The blind beggar receives his sight. There in verses 41 to 43, chapter 18. What do you want me to do for you? 
Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. It was pretty obvious and and clear. But then with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus receives acceptance. Zacchaeus receives acceptance. He discovers acceptance by God. You see, once he was alienated from God by his sin, now Jesus declares him to be saved. His separation from God is now over. He's been rescued by grace. But more than that, he also discovers acceptance into a new community. Whereas he was an outcast from the community of national Israel, Zacchaeus now discovers entry into the community of all God's true children. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. You see, the glory of being saved by Jesus is that we are incorporated into a new family, the outsider. The outcast can now experience the oneness that there is worldwide in Jesus Christ. In the church, the barriers that would normally divide human society come crashing down. You see, here is community. Here is loving acceptance. Here is where you can relax And be your true self in Jesus. Here is where your identity is not shaped by your changing feelings. But by your eternal union with Jesus Christ. Here is security. Here is home. But then finally, Luke concludes these two stories by, with a comparison. And we notice they both were changed. They both were changed. Upon receiving his sight, we're told the blind beggar immediately followed Jesus, full of praise to God. You can picture the scene. He, he has his eyes opened. He can see and he sees Jesus. So what does he do? He follows Jesus. It's not as if he goes home and says, Mom, look. He follows Jesus. And upon meeting with Jesus, Zacchaeus gave evidence of a changed heart. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You see, under the Mosaic law, under the Jewish law, If a thief voluntarily confessed his crime, he had to restore what he took and add a fifth to it. If he stole something he couldn't restore, he had to repay fourfold. And if he was caught with the goods, he had to repay double. Now, look, Zacchaeus didn't quibble over the terms of the law. He offered to pay the highest price. Because not only had his status before God changed, the most important thing was his heart had also truly been changed by God's grace. Could I say this? Indeed, if there's no evidence of new life in someone who professes to be a Christian, 
then we may have reasons to be seriously concerned about where they're really at. You see, it's possible to profess certain truths, possible to wear certain religious expressions, possible to perform certain religious ceremonies, but unless the transforming work of Christ is evident, then there'll be concern over the real state of their hearts. You see, this was the response of love. Zacchaeus was never commanded to do those things. Jesus didn't say, okay, Zacchaeus, here's the list. Here are the rules. No, his motivation for doing what he did was love for Jesus and was gratitude to God. And so it will be for those who once were lost but now have been found. My friends, you will change. The love of Christ will rule in your hearts. You will have new objects for your affections. You will change when you have been born again by the Spirit of God. I referred earlier to the Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven was a poem, famous poem, written by a guy called Francis Thompson, who was a 19th century British poet. And although Thompson was a follower of Christ, he struggled with poverty. He struggled with poor health. And actually, he struggled with an addiction to opium, which in those days was sold as an over-the-counter medication. And in the depths of his despair, Thompson described running from God. And part of his poem, this famous poem, The Hound of Heaven, he said, I fled him. Down the nights and down the days, I hid from him. I sped from those strong feet that followed, followed after me. But Thompson also knew the unrelenting love of Jesus, the hound of heaven. In the poem, Jesus pursues Thompson, and I quote from the poem, with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed and majestic instancy. What they mean is urgency, majestic urgency. You see, Thompson hears the feet of Jesus pounding after him. As Jesus calls, all things betray those who betray me. In a biography of the famous churchman and theologian John Stott, Stott refers to this particular poem. According to Stott, he owes his faith in Christ, not to his parents, not to his teachers, or even to his own decision, but to Jesus, the hound of heaven. Stott wrote this, My faith is due to Jesus Christ himself, who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him, in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. Friends, I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you've been saved by God's grace. I don't know if you're a Christian, you've been born again. If you haven't, 
could I tell you, I believe something is happening to you that happened to us. The hound of heaven has been pursuing. He pursued us. He found us. All the turns that we went through, he pursued us. He found us. He called us. And he is doing the same for you even this evening. And it may be this very evening that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to you and calling you by name and he is saying, follow me. You who feel lost and detached and separated and alienated from God and for others, the Lord Jesus Christ in his love and mercy pursues you down the alleys of life and calls you to yourself. Himself. I, as I said, I don't know you. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what your background is this, but I know there is a Savior who died on the cross, who took upon himself the sin of failures like us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know peace. The hound of heaven pursued so many of us here, and the hound of heaven is still pursuing men and women, even this evening. Let's pray. Father, we do indeed want to thank you for the fact that the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we thank you that's been true for so many of us here in this congregation this evening. We once were lost. We went our own way. But Lord Jesus Christ, you knew us and you pursued us and you found us. And there came a moment in our lives where we confessed you as Lord and we repented of our sins and we put our hope and our trust in you. We had nothing else to rely upon. Lord, everything else had failed us. All the things we'd looked to, they were empty. Lord, all the gods we pursued were false and fake. But we thank you that you kept following and called us. And Father, we do pray for those here this evening who are still lost, but who can hear your footprints behind them. May they hear your voice and may even this evening they respond with all that they have. And we ask it in your name and for their good and for your glory. Amen. In a moment or two we're going to sing grace so marvellous. But look, I I want to tell you this at the end of the service because we're going to go on to have a time of communion. If you want to think more about these things, I've been very specific. I've been more direct than I would normally be in the course of preaching. But I just do believe that under God there are those here who are being sought out by him. If you'd like to talk to me, I'm going to be uh, down here at the end of the service. We've got booklets called Two Ways to Live. They will help you. We have got copies of Mark's Gospel. Come and take them. They are free. There's no cost. We want you to hear the voice of Jesus calling you. And we want you, even this evening, to respond to him and know the change that has transformed so many of us here.